So prayerfully, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. <clears throat> We're picking up where we left off in our study of 1 Peter. <clears throat> Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is the word of the Lord. Everyone around the world, as far as I know, like it or not, divides up the years of our history on the basis of one major event. A.D., B.C., or I should say in order, B.C. and A.D. We tend to just say B.C. stands for before Christ, before Christ came. A.D., uh, and the Latin is Anno Domini, which is in the year of our Lord. And we, we tend to say A.D. stands for after death, after the death of Christ. And indeed, that's a great way to divide up human history. A lot of folks these days, are, they tend to divide up history in terms of what happened five minutes ago and what might happen five minutes later. Uh, or what happened to me in my life that turned my life around or changed me for the better or changed me for the worse. But for Christians, the same rule applies. There is a time <clears throat> when you and I lived our lives B.C., before Christ, before Christ came into our lives. And A.D., after death, after the death of Christ, but in this sense, after our own change in life. So we could divide our personal history into our lives before Christ changed us and brought us to himself to believe in him. And then everything has happened since. And that's what Peter's talking about here. So when we look at this, just notice with me these, the little breakdown of these verses to see what, how that works itself out for you and for me. First of all, notice that your life, my life, is different now because you live through Christ. Your life is different radically different, I might add, now that you have come to Christ. So verse 1, 
states that. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same kind of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now there's some confusing phrases in there, and I'm, I just want to make them clear as we look at this. But we must realize our position now as believers. Sometimes we forget how different things are for us now, and those differences are designed not only to to eventually get us to heaven, they're designed to help us between now and heaven. And the more we understand what Christ has done for us now, the more we'll be able to cope and, and know how to properly handle the things that go on in our lives currently. And so he mentions here that Christ suffered for us. He reminds us again that Christ suffered in the flesh. Peter has mentioned this uh, previously, <clears throat> in chapter 2, verse 24, a passage that many people have uh, committed to memory, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There's the before and after. We die to sin when we become Christians and we live to righteousness. We couldn't have done that before. We wouldn't have wanted to live to righteousness before. And then Christ completely changed our understanding of reality and truth. And he wrote his law upon our hearts that we came, became totally undone by our own sense of our sin and our guilt. And if we were to die the next second, we would not make it to heaven because we were not trusting in Christ alone. But Jesus came to do something about that. And that's what Paul is saying here in 1 Peter. Again, chapter 3, which we looked at uh, the last uh, few times, verse 18 of chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And then a little further down there, verse 21, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you go on reading there, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Christ did all of this in order to do what was necessary for you and for me to, to truly be in a right relationship with God forever. We could not contribute any of that. All we could do was cast ourselves on God helplessly and plead for mercy from him. And let me encourage you because if you've never done that, you can do that today. And if you plead to him for mercy for your sin and guilt, he will hear you. He promises that. And you will know this life that we're talking about. Others of you already know that life. And so what Christ suffered is applied to us here. We tend to think of the cross and the resurrection and Christ going back to heaven and sitting at the right hand of God. We tend to think of that as, okay, that all happened a long time ago. But how is it impacting me? Well, the very fact that he did it for you means that at some point, 
All of what he did is going to actually work itself out in your life as he changes you and brings you to himself. And so that before Christ becomes, after Christ, uh, after Christ came, your life before Christ, and that's a great way to, to describe your testimony, by the way. If you ever want to share with people how the God has changed your life, you can say, well, before I understood the gospel, I wasn't doing very well spiritually. And you notice he describes what that life was like in chapter four. In verse two, at the end of the verse, he says, we no longer live for the human passions, but for the will of God. And then continuing in verse three, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And then he lists the ways that the Lord has changed them. Living in sensualities, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Those, that list, and it's just one list of many in the Bible of various sins that people commit, and those are the outward obvious ones, doesn't really say a whole lot about our inward sins except the word passions. So we see that list and we think, <clears throat> hey, people are still doing stuff like that 2,000 years later. <clears throat> people have been doing that ever since Adam and Eve fell. So we don't think, need to think that we're any different or that people we know are any different if they are living lives like this. And this is just, the, again, the outward stuff. This, we're not even talking about all of the sins of the heart, like anger. <clears throat> That's really a, a passion. It's a sinful passion. Some passions are, are not sinful, but this one is. And so he did all of that for us. And you, I won't go to it now, but in Romans 6, Paul talks about how Christ died and rose again so that we could die to our sin and be raised up spiritually with the new life in Christ and one day be raised up in our bodies as well. So what Christ suffered needs to be recognized by us. <clears throat> Arm yourselves, he says. <clears throat> Since Christ has done all of this, the middle of verse three says, Arm yourselves. <clears throat> Arm yourselves? Does that mean that you need to pack some heat? You know, some of us do that. These days, we kind of feel like maybe we need to do it more than ever for self-protection. <clears throat> That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the spiritual life. Soldiers can't do much in terms of fighting without armament, without bullets, bombs. They have that difficulty over in the war with Ukraine, both sides running out of ammunition. I understand that ammunition manufacturers all over the place, including America, are ramping up production as much as they can to help uh, the soldiers that are fighting over there on each, for each side. Well, you and I need to arm ourselves spiritually. And of course, he's talking about the spiritual warfare. Arm yourselves with the, the, uh, the uh, armament that God gives you. Ephesians 6, we are to 
recognize the spiritual forces at work and we are to fight the spiritual battles with the tools that God has given us to do that. And he mentions them all there in Ephesians 6, prayer, the word of God, and so on. And so we need to recognize that this is all true, what Christ has done for us, but we have some responsibility here. Be thankful that we are in Christ and his death for our sins gives us the power to, to be at death to our sin and that we can live an obedient and faithful life. A believer can't live successfully without this attitude. Have this mindset of being armed to serve the Lord by knowing him more and more. So Christian, you need to see the truth about that for yourself and heed this injunction, this command. What Christ has done for you, great, but you need to arm yourselves. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Second thing he says is your life must be different from what it was before. Verses two and three, and I've already talked a little bit about that. The before was that we lived just giving in to our sinful impulses. Sometimes guilt would maybe hold us back or, or having some ability to, to not do that as much as some people do. Don't look at this list here in verse two and, and three and say, oh, I don't do any of that. Well, there's different levels of, of sin there and it all starts in our heart attitudes. So life before Christ was living for these evil desires. There was an ad years ago <clears throat> in Harvard Magazine, Harvard Magazine, uh, and in this ad, full page ad, it said, had a picture and it said, your gay and lesbian friends welcome you back to school. <clears throat> I mentioned that just because it was like in the 1980s when that ad appeared. And how have things changed now? They've changed a whole lot for the worse. And we need to understand that and again, be armed for that. Especially when young people get on campus and they start getting all of this uh, <clears throat> attention given to them <clears throat> to join in with them in sinful practices. <clears throat> but understand, it's not just, <clears throat> I've got to choose between a list of doing these things that Christians are supposed to do that God tells me I have to do and choosing these things that all my unbelieving friends want me to do. It's deeper than that. It's in terms of who is running your life and where spiritual life comes from. We have to be born again in, and experience a complete revolution from the inside out that produces a whole new person. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That doesn't mean you don't sin anymore. I know that it says ceased from sin. And you might read verse uh, one and say, Jesus ceased from sin. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. No, he has, he has made a break with sin 
meaning our sin by the fact that he paid for our sins on the cross. And then we need to understand that break with sin. When you're justified by faith in Christ, you no longer are under the dominion and the bondage of sin. That's what Romans 6 tells us. We are, again, new people, new creations in Christ. Sin no longer has to be our master. It no longer uh, is going to be our master as long as we followed God's directions here because we're of our new nature. And what do we do after Christ? Well, it tells us. <clears throat> Verse two, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. What is your purpose in life? How are you going to use the rest of your life? Christians say to do the will of God. It's that basic, to do the will of God. Before, I did the will of me, right? And now I, do, I am here to do the will of God. And he quotes Psalm 40, verse 8. I have come to do your will, O God, which is what Jesus said himself. In Gethsemane, he said, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He submitted his life to doing what God wanted him, the Father wanted him to do. You and I, Jesus' disciples, must submit our lives to do what he wants us to do. Sometimes we'll balk at that because we think we know better than God when we know what his will is. But by faith, you have to say, no, God knows better than I do. His way is not only the right way, it's the best way. And it's the blessed way. Notice, lastly, <clears throat> your life will incite conflict because it is different. Here, Peter returns to the same theme that he has been dwelling on throughout the book, suffering. When you become a Christian, guess what? You're not going to suffer less. You're going to suffer more because you have identified with Christ who suffered for you and he said that a servant is not greater than his master. We must join with Christ in suffering because we're following Christ against the way of the world. And it will always be that kind of conflict until we get to glory. There will be people, as he says here, who will scoff at you. They will mock you. They will reject you. They'll tell you all kinds of things. Like, why are you wasting your time with that old-fashioned Christian stuff? We've got a better way. We can live in freedom now. No, you can't, because you're never truly free until you're Christ's. You know, <clears throat> the great Christian writer, Augustine, some say Augustine, I follow R.C. Sproul, Augustine. <laughs> Augustine was not a very good man before he came to Christ. In fact, he was, he was a really rowdy guy. Through the prayers of his mother, Monica, he came to know Christ and he was living in Rome <clears throat> and he was trying to live that godly life that, was, that had changed him and he wanted to. But uh, he, he, uh, 
tried to avoid his former mistress in the process. He knew he didn't have anything needed to have anything done with her anymore. But he ran into her one day in, in, uh, somewhere in, in Rome, and she said, Augustine, Augustine, it is I, it is I. And Augustine said, yes, but it is not I. Not anymore. Not interested. Got a better way to live. Those who aren't Christians will react against you. Those who aren't Christians, though, will also receive God's judgment, as he says here in this passage. They're going to have to give an account to the one who will judge the living and the dead. What do we say in the Apostles' Creed? From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. If you're already dead, you're still going to have to face the last judgment. If you're still alive, you'll still have to face the judgment. The only difference will be at the judgment, Christians will be exonerated and ushered into the glorious heaven of life. Non-Christians will not be exonerated and will suffer the pains of hell forever. You don't like that? Don't blame me. I'm the messenger. I'm the mailman. I didn't write that. God did. We need to understand that. There was an article I read in World Magazine many years ago about judgment. And now you can tell when this article was written, about when it was written, when I tell you the title of this article. OJ's next trial date. That was written after the trial of OJ Simpson and the article was titled OJ's next trial date. That trial will not get postponed. That trial will not be uh, mishandled. That trial will be exactly according to how he has lived. I'm not pronouncing judgment on him, but he's going to be like all the rest of us. It's going to be based on our lives. And it will be based on accuracy and it will be based on true justice. Don't be ashamed if people cause you trouble because you are living God's way. In fact, we should rejoice in it because we know the truth that sets us free. Take a few moments to review your life right now. Think of the time that is already passed, as Peter puts it, in your life. Think of the time that is present and you can have confidence it will continue in your life until you get to glory, that God is with you and changing you. He's still changing you, but all the way through you are a new creation. What Christ has done for you has been done for you to change you forever, to make you what he wanted you to be. Think for the time that has passed, think for the time that is left, a few years, then judgment and eternity. God loves us enough to tell us what to expect and how to live. What about the rest of your life? How you live it will depends, will depend on the one that you know. Do you know the one who gives life forever in glory? Those who have a living faith in the living Christ can live to do God's will, regardless of the past, because those 
That's over, forgiven, done for. Trust in Christ and live to do God's will. That's why we are believers in Jesus. Let's pray.